Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com, where you will find the audio-only live stream and links to our social media sites, where we simulcast the show, and of course, podcast links, and everything else. It's uh, where every, it's all, it's, we're all, it's, it's all there. It's all right there. Just keep going. Just keep going. And go check it out, MichaelDukeShow.com. And, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM Translator. Uh, so thanks for coming in and joining us today. It is Tuesday, the Tuesday edition of the big radio broadcast, and we are, oh, we're, 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 we're here, we're back, we're ready to go, we're we're ready to dive into it. Today, of course, being Tuesday means that it's going to be our deep dive into the weekly top three, which are the top three issues that uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets uh, thinks are important, important to discuss and to talk about. And today we're going to talk about uh, the election, the post the post-election uh, uh, roundup, I guess uh, we should say. Brad's going to talk about why moderate is the wrong word to describe who won in the uh, Alaska elections. We're also going to talk about the big, uh, the next big spending issue, which is going to be, <clears throat> as we've been talking about, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to increase K-12 uh, spending. That's the next big uh, that's the next big push is whatever it takes to, uh, you know, keep these schools going. That's what we need to do. We'll just give them whatever, whatever they need. And then finally, uh, what impact both Willow and Pika are going to have on this uh, legislative session. And so Brad Keithley is going to be joining us here shortly and talking about those big three issues here in the uh, in the state of Alaska. Uh, then in hour two, we will be chatting with uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in and give us uh, our weekly our weekly uplift. Yesterday, people were like, can we have Chris Story in now? I mean, are we done being beat up and, and you know, the, 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 the negativity, the the stress from yesterday, people were already wishing to get a chance to talk to Chris Story, and uh, yet here we are. So it'll be today. We'll we'll get uh, we'll get the we'll get the scoop from Chris, and uh, we'll feel better about ourselves. Isn't that what it's all about? Feeling better about ourselves. All right. Uh, so we are going to uh, 
we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, doing that today. And uh, welcome, oh, welcome, welcome to the program. All righty, where do we want to start today on the news? Well, mm, okay, I guess. Uh, so there's going to be some reorganization. Uh, here on the Anchorage Assembly, uh, down there in Anchorage, they've got a uh, a bunch of stuff happening, including the fact that both uh, Forrest Dunbar and Jamie Allard appear to be on the cusp of snatching victory in their legislative races, which will leave two seats vacant. And now um, the... Former acting mayor who said she saved a lot of lives. That's what she said. Gee, I saved a lot of lives. Um, and uh, she uh, she has decided to to run not run for re-election. Uh, that is Austin Quinn Davids, uh, Davidson. Uh, Austin Austin Quinn Davidson, who said uh, is uh, she's proud of her service. She stepped up to serve as mayor. She says, I literally saved many lives by making difficult decisions, decisions that were not always popular. And uh, I met that challenge when we were called to demonstrate true leadership. And now she said, I'm she's done. She wants to spend more time with her, uh, wants to spend more time with her kid and her wife and all that stuff. And so she's not going to run. So there's going to be some uh, potential for shakeup here in the assembly in Anchorage. Now, I don't know exactly what that means yet. Um, Mayor Dave Bronson has announced his intent to run for reelection. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's going to be a contentious race, right? You know, I mean, a contentious election season uh, because, boy, nobody they love to hate more than Mayor Dave. And so now you're going to have three seats that are going to be open. And uh, I just don't know. I just don't know where it goes from there. Um, but we'll see. Uh, and then four additional seats are up for election in early 2023. So that makes a total of what was it? I guess it's seven, right? Seven seats. Um, the 12-member assembly membership could shift by more than half um, when the uh, city's uh, regular election results are going to be finalized this coming April. Because remember, they're on a totally – the Anchorage people, man, I swear. Their election's in April, not in uh, – not with the rest of us uh, in the long run. So we've got uh, – Got two more members waiting, one announcing she's not running, and the four additional seats up for election in early 2023. So that's seven seats out of 12. This should be fun. This should be this should be fun. Um, it will be interesting to see what uh, what comes out of that. But definitely uh, a chance. You know, yesterday we were talking about, well, you know, how do we overcome a lot of this stuff? How do we deal with a lot of this stuff? Well, remember... Um, <clears throat> the stuff closest to home is what we need to be paying attention to, right? So, I mean, this is the, this is the opportunity. If you're in the Anchorage area, uh, you're in that voting district, this is your, this is your opportunity to get involved and to, you know, not throw bombs and, and uh, you know, alienate people and everything else. Go in there 
and just explain to people why you think you would do a good job and what your views are. And let's see if we can let's see if we can bring some semblance of normality and balance back to the Anchorage Assembly. That would sure be nice, wouldn't it? That would I mean, that would be super nice. But we've got a good opportunity there. Seven of the twelve? Yes, please. I would love to see seven of the twelve changed out there. Um <clears throat> anyway, there are some options and opportunities there. All right. Um that's and then of course that's not going to be happening until April. But something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. All right. Talk about not being able to read the room. There are just certain people, you know who they are. They're in your life. They walk into a room and they say they just they say exactly the wrong thing at the Right. I mean, they just walk in and they're just like, and you're like, dude, could you not even just read the room as to what was going on? You know, Um, well, the NEA decided this weekend that uh, they wanted to boast of their superiority. The NEA wrote this weekend on Twitter that that teachers know better than anyone what students need. The the tweet which went out on uh, the tweet which went out on Saturday um, said, "Educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and thrive." Now, unfortunately, um, the five thousand respondents on Twitter were not playing along with this, and in fact, many of them were like. Um, Increasingly, educators seem to know better than no one. Uh, better than anyone? That's rich. Nope. Get your. Is this an ad for school choice? That's what. And then Betsy DeVos, who is uh, former education secretary, uh, chimed in and said, "You misspelled parents." <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh, oh my! Um, I mean, I think people are starting to, you know, uh, to, to get through it, but again, not being able to read the room. This is the same kind of Terry McAuliffe move, uh, or politician move who say, we know better than you how to educate. I mean, they're just saying the quiet part out loud, right? That's what this is all about. That's all these, these folks are saying is what they've been insinuating and, uh, and, you know, implying the whole time, which is. We know better than you how to raise your child, how to teach your child. We know better than you what the curriculum should be. And, of course, they saw what happened to them when that came down in, uh, you know, in uh, in Virginia. Right. I mean, you saw what happened there uh, when Terry McAuliffe tried to tell everybody that, no, 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 you don't get to decide the curriculum. We do because we're the professionals. And then he was voted out of office uh, immediately thereafter. This is that same kind of, I'm sorry, I can't read the room kind of thing. Educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive. Um, No, I think the parents are still the best choice for that. I'm I'm just going to say that. I just think the parents are still the best choice for that. Again, I just want to show you this just reason number, you know, 416, why you should probably consider homeschooling your children or sending them to, you know, private school or, or charter school or pandemic 
pod or learning thing or teacher share or whatever else that they're calling it these days. Anytime you have this kind of arrogance is the time that you probably need to go, "Mm, no, no, sorry, not, not gonna do it, not gonna do it. That's what we need to be jumping in on. All right. We're going to uh, continue on. And we'll see what you guys have to say here in a little bit in the chat room. Meanwhile, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets uh, is coming in. Yeah, it's not a pandemic pod. That's what they were called during the pandemic. Now they're called what? Learning pods? You know what I meant. You know what I meant. All right, we're going to continue with the weekly top three right after this message. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Okay. Yeah, you misspelled parents. That was the classic uh, comment this morning. All right. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? You guys all ready for uh, another uh, start with the good news? Uh, I didn't really have any good news uh, right now. Uh, anything new with the challenge to the nut job from Louisiana who beat Liz? I haven't heard anything new other than Scott Kendall has become her attorney. Um, I don't think we got around to that part of the story yesterday, but Scott Kendall is uh, now going to be, I mean, he has become the poster child of all that is wrong in Alaska. Am I wrong? I mean, am I, I'm not wrong. I'm not, hashtag, sorry, not sorry. That guy has become... Oof. Uh, All right. Um, Let me see if there's anything else here. Mandatory voter education. They've been trying to cancel parents for a while now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, Well, you guys have all been very quiet this morning. um, And there's uh, not a whole lot of you in here today. I don't know if it's because we're not getting notifications out or people are just tired of the elections. But one way or the other, do me a favor. Let's get more folks in here. Share the show, like and follow the show page, do all that stuff, and let's uh, let's get it done. Okay, all right. Let's uh, meanwhile go over to the uh, go over to the green room here and uh, drag Brad Keithley from the weeds here. See what he's got going on. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing this morning, Michael? I'm doing great today. How about you? You know, uh, no uh, no complaints. I'm above ground and. Uh, I can uh, actually don't, my hair doesn't hurt anymore. So that was uh, kind of, th- <laughs> that's, that's. Your hair was hurting? Oh my God. Yeah. Everything was hurting. My everything was hurting, including my hair. And uh, last time we talked and uh, that was the worst day uh, of the whole, uh, of the whole thing. And now we're back and ready to go. So. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say though, you, you, you worked through it like a trooper. You well, kept going. Well, uh, there's not. The problem is, it's not like I can take a day off, right? There's not, uh, there's not anybody to fill in the seat. And since my studio is in my house, and my wife objects <laughs> to having people over at four o'clock in the morning, I, I think that's kind of what has to happen. So, 
Um, have you ever have you ever put have you ever put Terry on the air? Has she ever tried to host the show? She's never tried to host the show, but we've uh, she's been on the air with me before in the past. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a few years, but she's she's popped into the studio before and uh, done stuff with us. We've uh, we've had a good time. Um, but yeah, no, I I just. <clears throat> This is kind of a one-man deal, and uh, I don't know if I – it's one of those things where you kind of work yourself into a position of you're indispensable. <laughs> that was stupid, right? <laughs> that was the dumbest thing ever. Can't ever take a vacation. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we're going to uh, – uh, I feel better, and I'm glad to have you. And are you ready to dive into the deep end of the pool today and get it all squared away? I am. I am. But I don't blame those people who are who are sleeping in this morning. It's, it's, this election sort of uh, developed into exhaustion after a while. So. Boy, it did, didn't and, it? And it's, not, and it's not over yet. I mean, that's the worst part is that we still got, you know, we still got to wait, uh, what, another eight days now before the official release of the uh, of all the details and everything else. I mean, I think people are just exhausted i mean i really just think they're just there's a little bit of i mean voter fatigue is not <clears throat> that's not just a trite phrase i mean that's a real thing right now yeah so yeah um and i'm hoping that you're going to have you been following what it looks like is going to be happening in the organization are you going to talk about that at all or are you uh yeah i'll talk i'll talk about it some and yes i've been following it and um it, it's we're what I'm what I'm essentially going to say is we're back to the 20 teams, right? We're back to spend it all um, uh, as long as we don't have to pay for it. Well, and, and, that that's kind of true, isn't it? I, I guess this is the redo. This is the redo. <laughs> Our redo. And we and we even got Geisel back to do it. So it's <laughs> oh man, I just wow. All right, well, Brad, hold the line for just a second. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be back to you. Uh, don't go anywhere. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're gonna dive back into this. Uh, make sure that you like and follow the show page and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube and do all that kind of stuff. Let's get to it. Here we go. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Okay. Okay, fine. We are uh, ready to dive into it. It is the weekly top three, and those are the big three items uh, as um, as countenanced by the founder of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, Mr. Bradford T. Keithley. Good morning, my friend. How, uh, how are you doing today? Michael, I'm doing great today. Back in Alaska, I've got my got my Michael Dukes mug back. Oh I'm, man, you're feeling good, man. You're back in the. I saw your. I'm egg, ready. I saw your eggnog post, so I'm assuming there's eggnog in that cup uh, somewhere along. There's the there's there's heavy eggnog in there. <laughs> heavy eggnog. Um, well, Brad, we were just talking about the absolute exhaustion. That many of it, I mean, I was exhausted last week anyway, just because of the, the whole thing, COVID thing, but. I think people are just wiped out and uh, and and they're frustrated. And you're going to give us a little bit of analysis today of uh, you know some of the discussion and talk around the moderates winning and all this kind of stuff. So I guess we'll start off there. What um, what, what what are we gonna what are we gonna hit on here? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to relieve the uh, the exhaustion or the or the frustration, but but a little bit of analysis. I we're we're beginning to see a lot of articles that talk about moderate uh, moderates having won this election in Alaska, moderates having won the legislature um, in Alaska, and they go down through the list of either Democrat seats or or moderate Republican seat, moderate Republicans that that won seats. Um, and I and I want to push back a little bit on that. It in Alaska, we tend to classify candidates based upon their position on social issues. Um, if they're socially moderate uh, or socially conservative or socially liberal, we tend to we tend to use that classification for uh, for them, uh, regardless of what their position is on fiscal issues. But fiscal issues are are entirely separate and have a different mix. And you can be fiscally you can be socially moderate and fiscally conservative. You can be socially conservative and fiscally liberal. There's, there's the, the two don't necessarily and often don't overlap. And, and I think it, we're, we're using the wrong term to describe on the fiscal side uh, what's, who we've elected in this, in this election cycle. There's, on the fiscal side, there's fiscal conservatives that, that believe in cutting spending and reducing and, and keeping spending down to essentially minimal uh, requirements. Then there's fiscal moderates who believe in spending more, but they believe in spreading the burden uh, across all those who, uh, who, who benefit, broadly, broadly basing the, the fiscal burden across all those. And then you have another category of, of, of fiscals, uh, fiscal positions, and they sort of fall into two categories. One is the limousine liberals, the liberals who want to spend, but they don't want to pay for it personally. They want to shove the cost someplace else. And the plutocratic Republicans, who again are are willing to spend as long as they don't have to pay for it, as long as they can shove uh, the costs off on somebody else, as long as their wealth enables them to 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 avoid um, uh, having to pay. And I think what what we've elected this cycle, if you look across the board, is we've elected limousine liberals and plutocratic Republicans instead of moderate Republicans, you don't, or instead of, instead of moderates, you don't hear many people, uh, many candidates, very few candidates talking about, we need to spend more, but we need a, we need to broadly base the, the, the revenue base so that it doesn't impact any given group unfairly. It doesn't, it doesn't shift the burden to one group uh, or another. Sometimes you hear fiscal moderates talking about we're, we're using a progressive income tax and that's too much. Uh, on uh, on the high end, and that and that has uh, has bad repercussions, and so we need to broaden the burden uh, more broadly. Or sometimes you hear fiscal moderates saying we're we're pushing the burden too much down on middle and lower income Alaska family or families, and we need to broaden the burden. You don't hear a lot of that um, this election cycle. Instead, what you hear are people like Matt Clayman from the from the liberal side saying, uh, you know. That PFD, that's not a that's not a big deal. That's not an important issue. We'll just use that to finance the additional spending that we that we want to undertake. Or you hear Kathy Giesel saying, oh, "We can't have taxes. Uh, we need to spend more. We need to spend on K through 12, but we can't have taxes, and so we need to we need to cut the PFD going forward." What you hear are plutocratic liberal plutocratic Republicans and limousine liberals. Uh, uh, that are out there uh, that, that campaigned and at least to this point in the, in the cycle appear to be appear to be ahead and appear to be at least a lot of people are giving them credit for uh, for winning their races. 
So it's, I, I think, I think the press and, and I linked a Nat Hertz blog um, to, for, for, you know, for reference point on this one. I, when I sent you the list, I, I, I think the press is doing a disservice to the state by, by terming the people who were elected on a fiscal, on the fiscal side as being, as being moderates because they're not, they're, they're not, none of them. Are are saying we need to spend more, but we need to spread it over all Alaska, over all Alaska families, so that the burden on any one family is relatively low. They're not. None of them are saying that. They're all saying a variation of cut the PFD, pay for it. We need to spend more, but cut the PFD and pay for it that way, shoving the burden onto middle and uh, lower income Alaska families. And I and I think what we need is a recognition that we don't have, that we didn't elect fiscal moderates. We elected people who want to spend, and that looks like a moderate sort of, because moderates do want to spend, but they don't, but, but they don't fill the second criteria of moderate, which is we want to spread the burden over the broadest possible base in order to keep the, the burden on any given um, Alaska family uh, uh, low. They All of them are trying to all of them are trying to push the burden off on, off on middle and lower income Alaska families. To some degree, what we're setting up is a replay of the 20 teens, right? 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's, it's we need to spend, but, but we, don't wanna, we don't wanna pay for the burden ourselves. So we need to shove it someplace else. In the 20 teens, we shoved it on future, future generations. I'm by draining savings, by using the savings that that was intent that's intended for all generations, by using the savings for this generation, we shove the burden off on future generations who will have to build up their own savings for when they hit their own uh, fiscal difficulties. Now, in the 2020s, we're setting up a situation where we've elected candidates who are going to go in there and still say, "I don't want to pay for it. We need to spend more, but I don't want to pay for it." And now the the, the burden is going to be shifted to middle and lower. Uh, lower income Alaska families, and that's just that's just not a moderate position. So I, I I push back, and I and I think that that we would the Alaska press would benefit, the Alaska media would benefit by better describing uh, the positions of the candidates on fiscal issues instead of just just taking whatever their position is on social issues and applying it broadly across the candidate, and or just saying oh they want they want to spend so they must be moderate. I think I think we would be better served if the media went in and analyzed the actual fiscal position of the candidates who appear to be winning, and analyze what their what their position is on the revenue side, on the funding side, and realize that we don't have moderates. Realize that we don't have people who are saying we need to spread the base, we need to spread this burden broadly across all Alaska families. Realize that we have plutocrats on the Republican side. And we have limousine liberals uh, on the Democrats. I mean, this is what uh, I've said for uh, we've been saying for quite a while here on the program that really that the party labels and really the moderate conservative labels almost don't apply anymore. This all comes down to are you pro government spend or are you pro private sector spend? Are you protecting are you for protecting the private sector and the private economy or are you for bolstering up the public economy at all costs? And that's it's the same kind of thing, right? Right, it's 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 in part that, and then if you're for bolstering up the government economy, how you're going to pay for it? I mean, you can be moderate. You can be moderate. You can fit the the label of fiscal moderate, 
if you're, you're for additional spending that you believe is needed, but you're willing to pay for it by, by spreading the burden broadly as opposed to shoving it on one class or another. You can, be, you can, you can fit the, the definition of fiscal moderate uh, if you do that. But we don't, have, we don't have anybody, we don't have any candidates that I'm aware of that are, that are arguing for that, that form of, of, of funding. I mean, what they're arguing for is, well, we got this other big pot of money. We used to have savings. We used to have a big pot of money in savings, and so we'll spend that down. And now we have this big pot of money that that is in the PFD, and we'll just and we'll just spend that down. So it's, um, it, it is in part, it is in part, you know, favoring government over the private sector. But even even when you favor government, you can still be moderate if you if you spread the burden. If your proposal is to spread the burden broadly, so that no one sector has to pay uh, uh, a huge amount or a disproportionate amount for it. We don't have that. that. That's not what's going on with, uh, with with people who have been elected back to the legislature again. So I, I just I think it's a I think it's a misnomer. Again, on the on the fiscal side, I, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the social side, and I'm not even going to try to get into that. But but we tend we we what we what we're seeing is people who are uh, being ascribed the conservative or the or the moderate le- label. Uh, based upon their social position, position on social issues, as opposed right. to what they're actually arguing on the fiscal side. Well, can I ask you to sidebar for just a second, and maybe we'll do sure. this as a subcategory of one uh, of number one of the weekly top three. But y- y- explain to me why, in your mind, this is where we're at with this election. I mean, we we hear a lot of dissatisfaction. We saw a lot of dissatisfaction and frustration. And yet when push came to shove, a lot of those candidates who were more conservative in many ways, I mean, true conservatives, um, have gotten uh, have gotten the boot. And so what what are your thoughts on how the election has turned out and this move towards what is ostensibly a more moderate, right, uh, kind of thing, or maybe a more pro-government spend side of the world? What, what? Give me your thoughts on why that that happened. I think I think it's a combination of things. One, I think um, I, I, I think the I, I think the perception is the last legislature failed to come come to grips with our fiscal situation. And they didn't deserve to come back. Um, I mean, Kathy Giesel made a big deal with uh, with Roger Holland uh, in arguing that he didn't solve anything. Um, that he was just there and he was, you know, tried to gut programs or tried to change programs, but he didn't solve anything. And I think it's a a general frustration with the lack to, uh, lack of coming to grips with the fiscal plan. I think that's uh, I think that's lack of coming to grips with the solution to the situation that we face. I think that's one. Two. I think there is a perception that um, we need to spend more in certain areas, and 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 the Roger Hollands of the world and 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 others weren't going to do that. Um, this plays out a lot in Fairbanks. I mean, I, I watched a couple of Fairbanks races closely, and I think there was the perception that we do need to spend more on K through twelve. We do need to spend more on teachers, um, and and the conservatives just aren't going to do that. Uh, and so we need to find somebody uh, in our legislative races who's going to look out for our district, our interests. Uh, we need to find somebody who's who's going to do that, regardless of how they're going to pay for it. Um, and I think there was a perception that, that that we do need additional spending in certain areas. And I think uh, I, I think candidates made inroads by 
by suggesting that that they would um, take up that uh, that flag and uh, and and push forward on spending. So a combination of we didn't get a solution. We had we had Dunleavy as governor. We had a concert. We had conservative uh, uh, legislators. They didn't come to a solution. We're still facing this the same issue, um, and you know, and we need to be changing our road a little bit by spending a little more here and there. And uh, and the conservatives aren't going to do it. So let's elect people. Let's elect people who are. So in part, what you're saying is that K-12 spending cry that we heard in a lot of campaigns was effective. I mean, that was an effective message to to engage the electorate and get them involved, because don't you you love children, right? You you don't you don't hate children. And uh, and and of course, they all need it, regardless of the analysis of how much we've spent or what we're spending right now or what we're getting for what we're spending all none of that mattered. It was just it's for the children. I mean that that kind of was the winner of this election cycle. Well, yeah, and you and I talked about it at the time. The first the headline first headlines hit about Anchorage closing schools. I mean that was that was that was going to be their closing drive. That was I don't know if it was an October surprise or a September surprise, but that was going to be the closing drive. And and I think we I think I talked about it at the time as being the similar to the the National Guard controversy that that you know that took care of Parnell in 2014. You just heard about it every day and every day and every day and every day until the election. And so you had questions about, you know, what Parnell actually did uh, with respect to the National Guard issue. And here we heard about education every day and every day and every day. The, the difference is K through 12 is not going to go away. It's going to it's going to continue through the legislative session because the drive is going to be, as we'll talk about in the next segment, the drive is going to be uh, to, to expand K through 12. And then you're going to get the tag alongs. Oh well, if we're going to expand K through 12, we need teacher retention. And if we need teacher retention, we need to find benefits for teachers, and then that's going to expand, and we need to find benefits for more government. I mean, it's it, it's it's going to grow and grow and grow. But but it was very effective. I mean, it it to to the average mom and pop out there, to the average voter, seeing those headlines every day about closing schools, and I'm sure the schools were strategically chosen based upon election districts as opposed to something else. Um, uh, is closing schools uh, in Anchorage in particular, but you know the K through twelve. Then we had the articles about oh, this is not just an Anchorage issue; it's a statewide right, issue. Right, right, right. Fairbanks had to close issues, had to close schools last last year. You know, out in the Delta, out in the YK Delta, it's a problem. Up in Nome, it's a problem. Down in the Southeast, it's a problem. It's just, I mean, yeah, that was that was a big driver, and I think uh, I think people responded to it. And the conservative response was, oh, we'll we'll fix that, but then. <laughs> but then they hadn't fixed. Um, we hadn't fixed the fiscal situation in the in the last legislature in the last four years. So right. What the, the, the surprise? The surprise really to me, sort of, and it shows it, it it shows to some degree how the role the valley plays in in electing governors because it's so deep red and it votes so strongly for Republican governors that it just sort of overwhelms the rest of the state. But the surprise to me is. Uh, one one legislator I talked to put it that we elected a Bill Walker legislature. Uh, the, the surprise to me is that we didn't elect is that is that they didn't go ahead and and and, and elect a, a gubernatorial candidate. I, I think that's I think that shows how bad uh, uh, Walker was as a candidate and and how difficult a road uh, Les had uh, as a candidate. I think it also shows when you know one area of the state votes ninety to ten. Uh, in favor of a Republican candidate, the the rest of the state doesn't overwhelm it, can't overwhelm it. But it's um, 
but the surprise sort of is, yeah, we elected a, a Walker legislature, but uh, but we didn't elect a Walker governor. So right. how that's going to play out is going to be an interesting issue as, as, as we go through the next four years. But right. But but I but I but I think K through twelve was the was was a was a huge driver. And K-12 is going to be our next topic here uh, on the Michael Duke Show. That's going to be number two. We're going to take you over to that here in just a second. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're going to continue here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't go anywhere. We'll return with Brad Keithley right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Brad Keithley uh, is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, um, and... Uh, yeah, I just I just don't know. Now, Brad, you're hearing also, of course, we're hearing the the rumblings about the organization and what's going to be happening. And what it looks like right now is they're going to want to shut the conservatives out uh, in the Senate. I'm hearing that there's already basically a plan in place and that Shower and Hughes and, and uh, Myers are going to be basically sitting on their hands uh and uh their their the whole attempt is basically is to discredit them and move them over to the outside um i'm going to i'm going to leave you to the screen here for a second uh just wax poetic about uh, what you see as far as it comes to the uh organization of the uh, of the senate and the house and give me your thoughts until until i return there you go <laughs> well on the on the Senate side, I think Michael, you're right. I think uh, uh, it looks like that is going to be a uh, a coalition. Uh, uh, question is who's going to be headed by Gary Stevens is rumored to be the Senate president in one in one form. Uh, that makes sense to have a Republican uh, a Republican moderate uh, heading it up in one form. So uh, that's uh, uh, that seems to be uh, that, that seems to be the direction that the that the Senate's headed in. I think it will be disappointing if it's just Shelley, Mike, and uh, and Rob that are uh, in the that are in the minority. Uh, it'll if if Kaufman joins the the majority, and if uh, uh, Jesse Bjorkman and and others uh, join the majority, I think they will regret the day when it comes to uh, future election cycles. But but that's their choice. Uh, that's their choice to make. I think I think I think they ought to show more conservative principles than, uh, than just joining, uh, with, uh, the coalition of the day on the house side. Um, it, certainly it's much, much un more unclear about what's going to go on over there. Uh, I, one analysis I, I, I have, have followed, uh, the theme of it is that, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the House, the administration will push back and make the House different, or try to make the House a, a Republican-led a Republican-led body, so that uh, so that there's a, a not a coalition in both bodies, that they're not facing a coalition in both bodies. That gives the administration more credit, I think, than they've shown over the years and their ability to influence where the legislature goes. But 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 that's one theory. Um, I do think the Republicans will try to will try hard. Uh, to or to organize on the Republican side, but uh, 
but but Bryce is a Bryce Edgman is a force on on trying to pick people off and get people to come back over to a coalition, and uh, and there are going to be Republican uh, legislators uh, that are going to be uh, that are going to be you know susceptible to doing that. Um, either in either event, even if it's a coalition, I'm not sure that means that the that the so-called moderates or progressives or limousine liberals or however you want to classify them. Um, even if there's a coalition on both sides, I don't think that means that they run run uh, wild. What it does put, though, is a lot of lot more pressure on Dunleavy, uh, on the governor, on how he's going to push back uh, and when he's going to push back. Uh, Dunleavy has, has shown the the inclination to fight sometimes and not fight other times, and and it'll be interesting to see if there is coalitions on both sides and they do pass a lot of 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 moderate legislation uh, headed toward the governor. It'll be interesting to see how Dunleavy reacts to that. And that sort of goes back to the discussion we had had last time, which is what's Dunleavy's plan for these next four years? Right. Does he want does he want to leave a legacy? Does he want to build up some sort of solution to the fiscal situation? Or does he just want to rock along four more years, sort of like he has the last four years and sort of preserve whatever credibility he has uh, as, as just, you know, whatever, whatever his brand is, um, and, and take on Lisa, if she wins this election, uh, take on Lisa two years after the, the end of his governor's governor's term. So I, um, it, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns clear, clear. I think it's clear that we'll have a coalition on the Senate side. It's just a question of how many members are in there. Um, and on the Repul and on the house side, I, I don't think it's clear yet what we'll have. Uh, but uh, whatever it has, uh, whatever we whatever we end up with, I don't think we're going to have a huge amount of legislation that gets all the way through the governor. Well, and and I, I do not have the confidence that Governor Dunleavy is going to take the strong stance with the red pen if all these moderates get in there and are you know all these coalitions and and you know limousine like you're saying plutocrats and limousine limousine liberals if they do all this stuff I just don't have the confidence that he's going to go in there and be that bastion of fiscal conservatism that we hoped he would be. Um, because as you said, I think he might have eyes towards the few, maybe not, maybe, maybe he does, but I don't have the confidence that he's going to step up and, and clip those things out quickly here. If, if, you know, my hope would be I'm probably unlikely to come about, but my hope would be if there is a push for spending on both sides, if, for example, a K a big K through 12 spending bill gets through and if defined benefits gets through. I would hope Dunleavy would at least use that as an opportunity to fashion an overall fiscal uh, fiscal conclusion, fiscal uh, uh, resolution, as opposed to just rocking back and signing, you know, some version of, of whatever. All right, we're kind of we're kind of ran off the rails there, but we're uh, we're trying to finish up some thoughts here uh, on some important issues. But before we uh, before we go, we'll well, I guess we'll revisit that in the end of the break here. Uh, but let's get on to number two. At least get number two done before we run out of daylight. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest, and uh, we were just talking about the number one issue. Now on to number two, which of course is 
the next big spending thing. The next big spending thing is going to be that K-12 spend that we've been hearing about, how we're just not spending enough on children. We're just not spending enough on education. That's why our scholastic aptitude is so bad. That's why, because we can't retain teachers and we can't do this and we can't do that. And it's because we're not spending enough. I mean, we spend more than almost any other state in the nation, but we're not spending enough. Because we're unique and we need more money to make it work. Brad, uh, number two. Well, yeah. So that's going to be the push uh, that we need to spend more. We need to spend more on the BSA. We need to spend more, uh, no doubt, on the adjusters. And, and, and while we're at it, we need to go in and we need to fix teacher retention by, notwithstanding the fact the entire country is having problems with teacher retention. You know, we're going to fix We're going to fix it. We're going to fix all this teacher retention problem by by defined benefits, uh, uh, by adding a defined benefits program. And, and while we're at that, while we're fixing the teacher defi- uh, re- retention program, why don't we go in and fix, you know, the troopers and everybody else. And why don't we just do defined benefits across the board and, and make everybody happy again? Um, so that's, that, I mean, that, that's going to be, that's going to be the push on the spending side. And it's going to be a big push. And you can see it from the election. You can see it from the headlines. You can see it from the Anchorage school board. Uh, Elise Galvin was on uh, was on uh, Alaska Public Media and talking about how we need to, you know, fix education by all this additional money. Here's here's where I think the soft underbelly of of that issue is, and and that is who pays. Um, I've had discussions with with people who have said, and when I've asked, you know, they've they've talked about the need for all this spending, and my response is, okay, who pays? And well, you know. Regrettably, we're going to have to use the PFD. Okay, so basically, you want middle and lower income Alaska families to pay. You don't want the top twenty percent to have to pay anything uh, toward it, um, and and so you're just going to shove it all off on middle. Well, I don't I don't want to do that. I mean, that's unfair. If we're trying to if we're trying to you know deal with kids, we ought to deal with families also, and 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 I don't want to do that. All right, well then then we're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna support a broad based funding for it uh, where everybody. Uh, contributes equitably toward the costs. Well, yeah, I don't know if I if I don't know if I want to do that, but but that's fairer. And so and so, yeah, maybe we ought to we ought to push for that. I think, to me, and and you'll hear a lot from me on this issue as we go through the legislature. I think that the real, the, the soft underbelly, the way to deal with this issue is to say, you don't, you shouldn't want middle and lower income Alaska families to have to pick up the entire. The entire burden. You you should want to spread that burden equitably across all Alaska families. And when the top twenty percent realize that they're going to have to pay a share for, of that, when they realize they're not going to be able to just lean back and say, "Yeah, spend whatever you want as long as we don't have to pay for it," if they if, when they realize they're going to have to pay a share of that, they're going to kick in. The donor class is going to kick in and start pushing back on it. As I've said before, as we talked before on the show, you and I can spend all day, several days, every week, every month, you know, the entire year talking about all of the reasons why we don't need to expand K through 12 spending, or if we do, it needs to be in very selected areas and we need to take advantage of efficiencies in other areas. And so there, there doesn't need to be an overall need in spending. We sort of need to reorient it. You and I can talk all day about that. But politically, if the donor class isn't talking about that, if they aren't pushing back on their representatives, on their legislators on that issue, you and I are just basically talking to ourselves because the legislators are going to listen to us to a point, but they're going to listen to their donors more. And if the donors are saying, 
yeah, yeah, we probably ought to spend more, but just make sure I don't have to pay for it. Um, it as, as long as that's what's going on, we're going to end up spending a lot more. I think, I think the pushback on the whatever it takes approach, uh, which is what, what I hear often from, from people who are supporting additional K through 12 spending, we got to spend it, whatever it takes. Um, I think the pushback on that, uh, is to say, no, if, if your if your point is we need to look after the kids, we need to look after Alaska families. We need to make sure working Alaska families have the opportunities, all the opportunities available to them that you think they ought to have available to them. Then we need to spread that cost equitably so that we're just not, we're just not, you know, undermining your objective. If you want to make working Alaska families better uh, by spending more, you're, you're going to undo it if you push all of the costs of, of that additional spending off on middle and lower income Alaska families, off on working Alaska families. So to achieve your objective, you've got to spread the burden more. You've got to get it. You've got to make sure that all Alaska families are contributed equitably, that the burden is spread broadly so that the so that you minimize the burden on uh, on any one family. And and to me, that has some impact uh, when uh, when when you're pushing back on K through 12 spending because it engages the top 20%, the top 20% then starts pushing back themselves uh, on K through 12 spending. I, I guess I would agree with that, except for you and I have been talking about this for years. You and I have been, I mean, we've been talking about this specific argument that this is, and this is not something that the news media is picking up on. It's not something that anybody else is really talking about. And so they can just blame. I mean, you, I know you've talked to the legislator about it. You've, you've, you've written articles. We've talked about it on the program here. I've talked about it, but I, I mean, nobody else seems to be picking up that mantra and talking about what about the equitability of the spread and anything else. And so it just, it gets ignored. How do we, I mean, how do we make people think about this? I mean, that that's the big thing. I mean, I agree your argument is a sound argument, but it's not getting out there to the common Joe. They don't, you know, they don't, they're not, they're not making these uh, leaps of of logic and and seeing that. Well, how do we get the the messaging out there? Because the legislature is not listening to that because they can ignore it because nobody else is picking it up. Michael, I can only uh, we uh, we can only can do what we can do. I mean, I I, I write the weekly column for the landmine. Uh, we have the weekly program here. Part of it is I <laughs> I think conservatives, fiscal conservatives, need to pick up on that argument. I. I they want to say that we just shouldn't be spending. And as we saw in this election cycle, that just got rolled over. That position got rolled over. And, and so I think they, people who listen to this program, uh, I think they need to be arguing, fiscal conservatives ought to be arguing, we shouldn't be spending. You put that down as your, as your first marker if you want to. But if we're going to spend, it should be distributed, the cost should be distributed broadly. And, and I think they need, I think fiscal conservatives need to pick up that argument uh, as well. Basically, what, the, what their argument has been this point, to this point is uh, we shouldn't be spending more, full stop, period, end of statement. I don't want to discuss it anymore. That didn't win. That argument doesn't win. We saw in this election cycle, that argument doesn't win. You get rolled over, it, it, at least in this environment, you get rolled over when you make that argument. So to me, we need to have more people making the argument that you shouldn't be spending more, but if you are, make sure you spread it broadly. 
I think I think more people making that argument uh, would uh, would be helpful. I mean, it, I think it would I think it would motivate maybe Republicans, Republican moderates who are who are trying to push forward with spending and get away with uh, pushing it all off on middle and lower income Alaska families. Uh, I think it might make uh, might make them think twice. But it's <laughs> yes, you and I have talked about it a lot. Uh, but I think to this point, conservatives have have not wanted to go that additional step because they've said it's just enough to say I'm going to stop spending. I, I don't I don't think that works. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're out of time. Brad, thank you so much for coming on board with us this morning. We appreciate you being part of it. Thanks uh, for Michael. Coming. As always, thanks for having me. Folks, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. I'm not saying it's the wrong argument, Brad. I'm just saying that, you know, we've been beating this drum. And yet there's not, I mean, it, you know, especially in the journalism, I mean, they're not they're not looking at it. It's like they're just taking the talking points and regurgitating them instead of, you know, having some analytical thought on it and say, well, okay, great, but where does the money come from? Where does, you know, who pays and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it seems like more and more, it's just the rubber stamp mill more than anything else. Nobody is really addressing this issue that we keep bringing up. Uh, you know, it's 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 places like Must Read. I mean, Must Read is 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 uh, uh, for all of its bad, for all of its good and its bad. It's it's a broadly read, broadly read publication, and and Must Read has been among those who just said no more spending. Period. End of stop. You know, full stop. That, that's just it. And. And and I and I and I understand why you argue that. I mean, you and I argued that in the early twenty teens. We just shouldn't we just shouldn't spend more until until to me at least the the, the ball just kept going and going and going and 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 you, I, you had to develop an additional argument. Um, I think must I think must read in places like that need to sort of wake up to this argument. If they continue to just say we don't need to spend more, full stop. That's the end of my that's a, that's the end of my discussion. If you, if you just run over me if you're going to spend more. I don't have any anything else to say. Then I think they're going to get run over. But but I think that publication and I think other you know Republican talking points need to be. Well, we don't think you ought to spend more. But if you're going to spend more, at least distribute it broadly. At least don't focus it on middle and lower income um, Alaska families. And and I think that sort of argument, if made more broadly, will start seeping into the into the public discussion. I, I I hope so. I really hope so. Because again, the irony of this whole thing is that they supposedly are trying to protect average working class Alaskans and instead they're stealing the future from average working class Alaskans and their children uh, because they're, you know, taxing the PFD for all those kids as well. Uh, and so it's, it, it, it it's insane. It, it really is just insane. But you're right. This idea that we're just going to stand there and grumble and say, well, we're just only going to do cuts and that's it. I'm not talking to you anymore. That makes no sense whatsoever because obviously, I mean, it's we're obviously in a minority. I mean, we've talked about this on the program and it's the, been the position, my position for a long time that we should cut um, and that, uh, you know, that they're really, that should be one of the only options out there. But it's obviously not the winning message. It's obviously not what people really want in the long run. And, and, and Michael, it's because it's because people like Matt Clayman are able to go out and say, let's spend more. And by the way, you don't have to pay for it. All my donors, you don't have to pay for it. Cause I found a way to, to shove it off on middle and lower income Alaska families. 
And, and so let's spend more. You don't have to pay for it. You feel guilty about the fact that we're going to have to close schools and all that sort of stuff. So help me spend more. You don't have to pay for it and we'll be, and we'll be fine. It's a, it's a different thing if Matt Clayman has to go and say to his donors, help me spend more. You have to pay for a bunch of it, but, but help me spend more. You're going to get people pushing back. The donor class, the top 20% are going to start pushing back on that. So it's, you know, I, I understand I, to me, the way that, that conservatives can, can keep themselves whole in this situation is say, first position, don't spend more. But don't stop there because you're, we're getting run over by, by voters. Don't spend more. But if you're going to spend more, at least spread the burden broadly to all, to all Alaska families as opposed to concentrating it on middle and lower income Alaska families. That, to me, should be the conservative message as opposed to just just don't spend more. And I stop. Right. You know, that's that's and I'm going to stand in the stand in the doorway. Well, guess what? They just push through you when you st- when you stood in the doorway. You know, what would be an, as an interesting thought experiment, what would be interesting is to get all the people who have been no more spending basically turning around and saying, OK, what we need is a broad based tax. Period. That's it. I mean, just, you know, we're going to pay for it. Just a broad based tax, period. That's what we should all get behind. Could you the ground, the groundswell of a bunch of people saying, OK, just give us a broad based tax. Um, and then the screeching that you would hear from the donor class on that side, that would be an interest. I mean, it's never going to happen, but it would be interesting to see people like me who have been anti up until this point. Just basically say, well, the only solution is to get them all is to bite them all. By put everybody gets skin in the game. There you go. Boom. Everybody pays a tax, period. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to give up the principle of don't spend more. It's, I mean, I, I think it's a two prong. It's don't spend more. You, we don't need to spend more. But if you're going to spend more, make sure it gets spread broadly so it doesn't get focused just on middle and lower income Alaska families. And 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 it's not, you know, go to please tax me. It is don't tax anybody. Don't spend more. But if you're going to do it, at least make sure that everybody uh, has skin in the game. I think that's a, I think that is, that is a fiscally conservative position. I mean, it is a fiscally responsible position. Don't spend more, but if you're going to do it, at least make sure everybody has skin in the game and everybody's involved in that, in that additional spending. I, I, I don't, I mean, it's not saying tax me, tax me. It's saying don't tax me. But if you're going to tax me through PFD cuts, if you're going to spend more, then at least then at least spread it broadly. Maybe we should just come out and advocate for the tax right now. Just boom. Just just go ahead. Tax it. Broad based tax. Make it make you know, it interesting, happen. Interestingly enough, the, the people that have spoken about that issue the most are Mike Shower, Shelley Hughes. Uh, uh, Rob Myers, <laughs> people who have said, basically, I mean, Shower said in the context of the, of the fiscal policy working group, Hughes has said on and off on various occasions, if you're going to spend more, then it needs to be, then it needs to be broadly based. And I, and, and I think that's a very, I think that's a very solid position. We didn't even get to number three, Brad. It's sad. It's sad. But that's we'll do it next time. That's where it is. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Appreciate you coming on board. Uh, all right, Thanks folks. for having me, Michael. Uh, we got more coming up. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Streaming live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is The Michael Duke Show. Good morning and welcome back to Hour 2 of the Big Radio Broadcast Tuesday edition. We just finished up with Brad Keithley, who uh, brings us the weekly top three. Uh, we only got to number two of the weekly top three today uh, because it was uh, such an end. It was just that there was a lot to talk about in the first two. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it's definitely, definitely a frustrating time right now for many of us who are what we would consider to be fiscal conservatives. It is, it, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. Let's put it that way. Uh, coming up on this hour of the program, we're going to be talking with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who's going to give us our weekly life coaching lesson and get us, um, get us all squared away here uh, and ready to talk about, well, I don't know, just better, better stuff. Maybe, you know, I think we need it just from, uh, uh, just from a, 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 a positivity standpoint, I need I need that little uplift is what I need right now. Uh, I want to remind you that this hour of the program is being brought to you by your friends over there at Satellite West, SatelliteWest.com, from Metlakatla to Minchumina to Minto to, um, I don't know where else, another M space, Minchumina. Minchumina, any of those places in the state, if you are there and you need to be connected to the rest of the world, either with a telephone call or an email or a text message, or you just want to be able to surf the internet, the folks at Satellite West are there and they can uh, they can take care of it and connect you with the Iridium Satellite Network and make sure that no matter where you are in the great state of Alaska, that they will uh, keep you connected and keep you ready to go. Special thanks to the folks at Satellite West. We appreciate them uh, for sponsoring the program, and we look forward to uh, we look forward to uh, uh, them continuing to sponsor the program and especially this hour. So thank you again to Satellite West for being uh, part of this uh, as we go through. Okay, um, <clears throat> so. I we just finished up with Brad and um I I just I just don't know. I agree with Brad's argument about the fact that if we're going to spend all this money on state stuff and all this new money that it should be equitably spread amongst all Alaskans. That just seems like an equitability and equality issue, right? 
everybody should pay evenly. And instead, what we have right now is we have a system where they are taking the permanent fund dividend to spend on more state government. And the ones that are disproportionately affected by that, of course, are the middle uh, income, the lower income folks, the working class folks. They're the ones that are feeling uh, the pinch on this more than anything else. And while I agree with his his argument on that, unfortunately, it's not uh, it's not an argument or a talking point that up until now has been picked up by anybody in the mainstream. It's I mean, here here we are, here we are, um, you know, talking about it, and yet the news media doesn't pick it up. The news media doesn't talk about the disproportionate effect of a PFD taking on the lower income classes or the working class families. Nobody, no, nobody is in the news media is talking about this. Not a single article about the economic impact of the taking of the PFD. Not a, I, I have, if you could show, show me one. Show me one article that talks about how it disproportionately affects those people who can least afford it. So while it's a good argument, it's not being picked up and discussed in the average circles. Are, have you folks been talking with, uh, with your friends and relatives and neighbors about it? Have you, have you talked with your coworkers and other people? Uh, about, you know, that disproportionate effect of taking from, uh, you know, taking from the lowest income Alaskans to to feed the state government, to feed the beast? No? It's the argument that we should be having. And I'm starting to wonder if maybe instead as i was just talking with brad during the break instead maybe we should just start advocating for uh, an, an income tax maybe we should just start advocating for that now i know people like james in the chat room and stuff they're screaming at their radio right now and losing their minds because how could anyone how could you that is how could you no it's not well all i'm saying is right now what we've been doing what we're doing right none of it's working None of those talking and they're and the and the upper income Alaskans are just smiling and saying, yeah, go ahead, take the PFD. That's fine. We don't care. We don't care. But, you know, don't don't tax us because I mean, we're already we are already paying in this state a tax. We just don't ever see it. Right. It's a stealth tax. We don't ever see it because the money goes straight into the uh, into the uh, state coffers. That money goes straight into the state coffers, and we never see uh, a dollar of it coming directly into our pockets, and we never see it leave. So it's, a, it's essentially frictionless. It's essentially painless for us. And, excuse me. And, um. So we we never we never see it we never feel it, and so now when somebody starts talking about, well, what we should do to make it more 
uh, visible and equitable and so that everybody knows, you know, they've got skin in the game, uh, maybe we should have a, uh, you know, some other kind of broad-based tax. Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We we can't pay for any of those things. We can't. But I'm starting to think that that's the only way you're going to get these people's attention. I mean, that's the only way that they're otherwise – they have the power to take for you. They have the power to take from you and continue to take from you and damage those, you know, lower income working class people until the cows come home and you can do nothing. And <laughs> no, I, I look, I'm not saying that it would be a good thing. Uh, advocating for an Alaskan IRS to enforce a new bureaucracy, more government with the power of the sword to collect, they're already picking our pockets before it ever gets there. They're not; It's not even going into our pockets. That's already happening. I'm not, look, I'm not saying it's a perfect solution. I'm saying I'm looking for any solution at, at this point. We're just riffing here. We're just talking, right? We're just having a conversation. Because what we've been doing is not working. What what we've been doing on this program for the last 20 years has not been working. What we've advocated for has not worked. And what is the definition of insanity? I mean, that's 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 the problem. So maybe there needs to be a change of Plant, you know, maybe a change of uh, of attack here of, of the of the way to get into this. I mean, I don't want a broad based tax, but maybe that's the only way it's going to be to get those people engaged, those people who want to continue to spend and take the PFD and all that. Maybe that's what it's going to take is for people like you and me who are smaller, more limited government, but at some point are going, you know what? Taxes. Tax everybody equally. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm thinking, how do we how do we get a I mean, how do we get more people to pick up that conversation? Because again, the, the Brad's argument is a valid argument. That you are disproportionately affecting the, the, the biggest part of the population base. That 80%, lower 80% income. And it's a valid argument. We've been making it. We've been, we've been throwing it out there. We've talked about it. But has anybody picked it up? Has anybody, I mean, even legislators who are, are, I mean, even legislators who are our friends, right? I mean, legislators who are friendly to the show and all this kind of stuff, um, even them, even they, even some of our favorite legislators have not picked up the, the, the concept or talked about it or used it as a plan of attack to say you are disproportionately affecting the largest slice of Alaskans' populations and you're damaging the economy and you're doing all these other things. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it requires a complete change of tactics.
I mean, that it's a it's a question. It it is a question. I'm trying to find some way to move the needle. Maybe that's a drastic way. I mean, maybe that is a drastic way to do it. But it would be, I mean, it would definitely be interesting to see. um, It would definitely be interesting to see what the reaction is. Now, Jim makes a valid point in the chat room as well to say the lower 80 percent are the ones sending back legislators who are anti-PFD. True. True. So anyway, I mean, I'm just I'm trying, you know, this is, again, part of a continuation of our uh, um, of our conversation yesterday about how do we, you know. How do, what do we need to change? Because obviously what we're doing is not working. Um, obviously what we're, what we're, what we've been doing is not moving the needle. So maybe it requires drastic change in the messaging or in the, again, the angle of attack or whatever. Maybe that's what we need to do. I'm thinking about, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just thinking out loud right now. Because I know some of you out there are, are, again, just losing your mind and screaming at the radio. I'm not saying it's the best plan. I'm saying it's a plan. But if we just keep doing what we're doing, no new spending, no new spending, oh, just no, no. you know, we're not going to move beyond, you can't move, this is the hill we die on. Well, then you'll die on the hill because there's nothing else. Um. Whoops. Um, Brian says, having income tax is a huge lever to affect change. Simply having an income tax or sales tax doesn't mean it has to be collected. It's the sword that will hang over heads that can be used when we have budget shortfall. It's fair. You want more stuff, more services, pony up or find cuts. I mean, that's basically Jay Hammond's argument, right? When he when he railed against eliminating the income tax from the books completely, his advocation was that just to zero it out and leave it on the books. You could always turn it back up. Um, and so because, again, just just like that, like you said, it's a sword of Damocles that held that was being held over the heads of those who would use or spend more. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I'm going to have to give it some more thought. I'm going to have to give it some more thought. And uh, maybe we'll have some more discussions on this here as we go through. All right. Um, let's um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue. Chris Story will be our guest. We'll get our, uh, we'll get our weekly uplift this week. Oh, baby. We'll return. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Michael Duke Show.
Okay. Um. What do you say? What do you say? Um. I wouldn't let them. Uh, here's what Tyler says. I wouldn't let them institute a tax to activate more voters because even the new legislatures that got that those newly engaged voters would install still wouldn't get rid of the new tax. I mean, that's always the danger, right? I mean, that that's that's the danger to this. I mean, that's again. Let's let's talk. Let's talk about this. Um, not liberty based nor common sense. James, I mean, okay, I, I, you know, again, I'm thinking out loud here and having conversations with you. Um, <clears throat> then, what is your solution? I'm asking. What is your solution? I'm curious. I mean, the problem is, is, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is what government does, man. Uh, what's more dangerous. And here's, well, that's a, that's a thought. Rob just said, what's more dangerous, a government that taxes you or a government that can grow all it wants without taxing you. We are, we have become so adverse to, so adverse to any discussion of any kind of taxation that we're like we're willing to give them anything and let them do anything as long as there's no taxes. Anything. Do anything you want. You want to take the PFD? Take the PFD. Just don't tax me. Oh, you want to spend more on education? Just do that. Just don't tax me. Oh, you want to buy new widgets for the Watsi Hoosie? Oh, just do that, but just don't tax me. I mean, we we spent $16 billion under that mantra of just don't tax me. I'm I I, I got to think about this more. I got to I got to think about this more, but I, I mean, I'm I I I got to say that that is the problem. We have become so adverse to it that we can't see the danger of governmental growth without any kind of governor on it, any kind of, not governor like Dunleavy, but any kind of restrictor on it. Hmm. How about a show pointing at fingers at those who don't vote? The people are just not, this is nothing new, Kim. People have not voted. It's always been the 20% that have moved the needle on everything. A lot of people just don't care. They're not going to get engaged. Some are, some aren't, but for the most part, it's almost always been that way. Because people have become complacent. All right, uh, Chris Story, uh, the man from Homer. Uh, on the uh, on the on the phone with us. Hello, sir. How are you? It would be interesting, Michael, if there was. I, do you, have, you, have you ever done a show where people? And I don't know if you can trust the, what people will tell you in that respect. But I would be curious. If the, why does the average person who doesn't vote? Why don't they? 
That's actually a really interesting point. Like, I, we, of course, we know we have low voter turnout, but right. be curious is to really have a deep, honest conversation with somebody who perpetually doesn't vote. Do you just don't think you matter? Do you think you're not smart enough on the issues? Do you just not really care? Um, what is it? I, well, I think a- it's psychologically speaking, I would love to get to the bottom of that. That is a, that would be an interesting show. Now, unfortunately, you know, somebody probably listening to this show is probably engaged enough to want to vote. So yeah, you have, to, you have to find somebody who yeah. perpetually just simply doesn't. Yeah, do we'd it. have to find somebody outside of the show that we could bring in as an interview to say, why don't you vote? Why don't you get engaged on these issues? Why are you, you know, the municipal in between elections and people forget, oh, we vote. That's right. We had some school bonds and a. Uh, school board member, I forgot. Oh, okay, yeah, it was, yeah. you know, August or whatever. But but you know these big elections. Why do we have such minimal, meager? It's a it's a good question. All right, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. All right, uh, we're ready to dive into it today, our weekly uplift uh, with Chris Story, the man from Homer. Although um, it was, uh, we were just talking about, you know, the, the lack of voter turnout and everything, and Chris came up with a brilliant idea that maybe we should all be interviewing people who just don't vote and just don't participate in the political process and find out why. What is the reasoning? What is the, you know... Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, some people, uh, some one of someone in the chat room just said, my friend says it's so corrupt, then what's the point? Well, whew, man, that's a depressing point of view. Um, but maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's how people feel. They just feel like, what does it matter? Uh, the game is rigged and what does it matter anyway? I don't know. It would be, you're right, Chris. That would be an interesting, uh, an interesting discussion to have. I don't assume you've never had that discussion on your show. Not really. No, not from the standpoint of actually talking to somebody who on a regular basis doesn't plug in or participate or feel that their opinion matters. And I think that that sort of nihilistic approach towards life, um, I, I would have thought the more outraged people are, the more engaged they're they're going to get. And yet we see the numbers this year and um, yeah, minimal to the, the turnout was not a shock, I guess. You know? yeah, anyway, it was a, but it is it's it's a moderate, yeah, moderate turnout. I mean, more than anything else, you know, what is it? Mid twenties, yeah. mid twenties, something like that. So yeah, not a, right. not a huge groundswell of, uh, you know, we're not talking about a 50% voter turnout. And I know one person who, who was very distraught and told me, uh, and this person normally votes on a regular basis and this person couldn't find their ID. And so I said, well, you know, I think you can vote anyway. You you might remain in a question status for a minute, but right, right. Uh, I, I would still just go down, go down, you know. And, and what I love about small towns and, and Alaska is really a collection of small towns, even in Los Anchorage. You probably know the people there. There's somebody that's working in that polling center goes, oh, I know. Yeah, I got I know this person. And so anyway, really just not not much of an excuse not to participate but i don't know it's frustrating it kind of swerves right into what i wanted to talk to you about today and that is the practice 
of happiness. I think politics or engaging <laughs> or looking at anything is also a practice. You know, is a, is a situation yeah. where your habitual activities will lead to some result. I would argue you that feel, I would argue well, that politics is the opposite of the practice of happiness for most people, <laughs> especially for you. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so the practice of happiness. What? Uh, what? What exactly do you mean? Wants. Oh, yeah, Maylox, exactly. Give me a little well, Malanta. <laughs> Just thinking in terms of the word practice. You know, if we're going to talk about uh, showing up politically, we're going to talk about showing up in, in your community in, in some way or capacity. It is a practice, not not dissimilar from a doctor's practice, a medical practice, legal practice, a real estate brokerage. You know, these practices, we accept that that's a practice. What about you? showing up in your community and taking an interest in the outcome of these elections or for example happiness is a practice it's not something that it can land on you happiness finds you sometimes happiness can interrupt you in, in an everyday life but it can just as easily go away if it's if you're relying upon happiness to be the butterfly that lands upon you in the field it will just as quickly leave you if you do not have a practice if you don't have a way about you that is moving you towards happiness or creating a sense of happiness in your life, which, you know, Tiffany always reminds me, life is 50-50. You're, half the time you may not be happy. Maybe it's 80-20 for some people. With a practice, I think you can move it closer to 80% happy, even in dire circumstances, even a Michael Dukes post-election, post-flu illness, post-whatever can find happiness with a practice because you have to show up and, and bless you for showing up even when you didn't feel well. It's a practice. That's it. it a radio broadcast is a practice. It's something you show up to. Voting, engaging in your community, seeking happiness is, is a practice. It's a way. So uh, I guess how do we, I mean, how do we, I, you, you, you come in with all these buzzwords story and you're like, yeah, practice, practice of happiness. Okay. So give me some practical, how do I, how do I institute something like that in my life? I mean, how do I, uh, you know, I mean, it sounds like a good uh, buzzword and a good, uh, you know, book quote, but what is the actual mechanical steps of practicing happiness? Give me some for examples in my life here. Come on. Okay. Yeah. It, it's creating habits. It's not any, it's really the same as health or physical fitness, anything else. It's a series of, ha uh, of habits and the results show for themselves, speak for themselves in our life. And so if you want to create a, a habit of happiness, I think it, it, the key, there's one key word and it's called gratitude. And gratitude is also a habit, but if you make gratitude your aim, you can't help but be happier. It's, it's just, they go hand in hand, peanut butter and chocolate in a Reese's cup are perfect together so are happiness and gratitude so a practice of gratitude looks like well it looks different for everybody but it could look for you it could look like in the morning having a practice like for i'll just tell you what i do in the morning i wake up as i try to do every morning and right. i immediately go into a state of gratitude because i i might have just come from a horrible dream i i might have just come from a dream where biden won his third election his third his third term um, I, I might, who knows, it could have been, uh, something even scarier than that or whatever, you know, your dreams are there. Your subconscious could be moving a hundred miles an hour. He's thinking about what you got to do today. And I force myself 
and I squeeze myself through the venturi of gratitude. I will myself to begin thinking about what I'm grateful for, who I'm grateful for, my health, all the way down to the cellular health. I'm so grateful. And I put myself into that state on purpose. But that is a habit that I created some 20 years ago when I first heard Tony Robbins for the first time talking about his hour of power, that first hour in the morning and protecting it from the outside. And rarely can you protect it if the first thing you do is grab your phone. Instantly, you're going to either have a news notification or something could just spring right into your life that is not going to put you in a place of happiness. So I force myself not to. I go into a state of gratitude. I do some simple stretching and exercises. And that's how I begin my morning. That, for me, is a practice of happiness and gratitude. And when I can fit that into my morning, uh, it makes all the difference for the rest of the day. So the attitude of gratitude is the thing that uh, you say precipitates the practice of happiness uh because actually instituting it yeah added you're right and and that's a that's a great uh alliteration but it can also just be looking at it just as simple as literally a series of habits that create that gratitude and for me the habit is willing myself to go into that state of mind and frame of mind first thing in the day and i know on a morning where i skip it or a morning where something interrupts me that that uh, i don't put myself to that state, I feel it through the rest of the day. However, that's the beauty of it. Just like meditation, you can stop and put yourself back into it. I've never been one to meditate. I've never found it to be helpful. But when I think about putting myself into a state, which is probably what those who practice in, what do you call it, the transcendental meditation or different things, probably feel the same thing with emptiness or nothingness. Mine is forcing myself into a state of gratitude. Um, Robbie in the chat room says happiness is an attitude, not a condition. And that's pretty profound because it's, it really is true. Because again, the one thing that you have control over is, and we've talked about this many, many times, but the one thing that you really have control over, a lot of times it's not circumstance, it's not cause and effect, it's not what's going on around you, but it is your reaction to those things. And so if you go into it with the attitude of gratitude or the habits of happiness is that as far as that goes, it is an attitude and not a condition. I mean, you, you can decide, I know it's trite, but you can decide to be happy. Yeah. Even in the middle of a crisis uh, at work or in your life or your family, you, if you seek out and I, I like gratitude as a way towards happiness. In other words, happiness is that, unspoken aim or or like when you go to see a movie and you suspend disbelief happiness will follow if you make gratitude your aim and for me that's more than just a bumper sticker that literally is a way that is a practice that is something i remind myself of and why i'm sharing it here with you is that if i seek out gratitude if you seek out gratitude even amidst a terrible personal battle you will find happiness in that moment in that situation and if you don't believe me read man's search for meaning the unthinkable practice of living with gratitude in a concentration camp uh, victor frankel writes about it poignantly and and it's incredibly sad and uplifting at the same time but if he can do it what's my excuse if, if in the midst of living in that horror he can force himself into a state of gratitude into a, to a state of of peace of mind then what's our excuse? We really can't make one. 
I'm and and again, I'm I'm coming back to the practical application of this, and uh, and so let's just say that let's say that somebody's listening right now, Chris, and they've got some kind of I don't know crisis going on in their lives, or they just they just came out of the election and they're they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore, kind of thing. Um, what what would your recommendation be to take that hour? in the morning to start off with that? I mean, give me again, some practical application. You're very much high in the, you know, in the, the high mind here thing. Give me something practical that those of us that aren't uh, to the Chris story level of positivity yet can, uh, can put into practice. Practical application of, of gratitude, uh, aiming ultimately towards this unspoken amount of happiness that we're going to achieve. I would say it could be as simple as journaling. Not everybody likes to write, not everybody likes to journal, but at the same time, there is, as you and I've talked about many times, there is a physical manifestation of writing. There's something that happens in that process that affects you neurologically and physiologically such that you can't help but get some honey on you when you reach into the jar, even if you're handing it to somebody else. So if your your goal is to help your family and or yourself or help yourself and, and ergo help your family, because when you're better, it's like putting your oxygen mask on the plane, then you can help other people. If that is your aim and you're a little lost in the moment and you think that this is a fruitless conversation and can we just get back to instituting it, the what we're going to call the Michael Dukes income tax, which forever will be known as um, the Dukes tax, <laughs> then uh, then I would say maybe take a minute. Journal. It doesn't have to be an hour. You know, you could take 10 minutes, take five minutes. If you, uh, if you don't have a couple of minutes for yourself to acknowledge what you're grateful for, even if the people you wanted to be elected didn't get or you're most upset that the, the low voter turnout, or you can't believe people would be suckered in Pennsylvania into voting for Betterman, and that's just bothering you, even all the way up in North Pole, Alaska. I would say stop for a minute. And what are you grateful for? Are, well, I am so grateful for the Constitution of the United States of America and a more perfect union. It ain't done yet. We're not done yet. I am grateful. And this is something that I literally put myself through this morning. I am grateful that our best days are ahead of us in America. I truly believe that. And it, sometimes I have to make that a mantra because it's, it's sometimes I lose sight of that. But when I really stop and I journal and I put thoughts to pen and paper, that's one of the things that bubbles to the top in one of my gratitude practices is I am so grateful that the best days of America are ahead of us, not behind us, ahead of us. Mm. Okay. Well, some practical advice uh, from Chris Story. Um, now we're coming to the, uh, you, 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 uh, you, you, we're in November. This is the, everybody's doing the NaNoWriMo and all that stuff, but you've been writing this whole time. And uh, so give us an update on your books before we let you go here. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I thank you for doing that because I just completed my manuscript for my second Jacob Mann novel. This one is a, it's called The Watchman. And I just am getting ready to hand it off to the editor. I just finished it over the weekend and uh, pretty excited about it. It's one of those things that I think it's good, but you know, it's taken me a number of months to write it. And I'm thinking, I don't know. It's, you get, nervous it's a little bit like taking your puppy out into the public for the first time is it going to wet itself is it going to make a dookie right there in the middle of the trail or is it going to be well behaved we don't know yet but i'm pretty excited i can't wait mostly i can't wait to hand it off to you because 
my brother is my biggest critic in the world, always has been. That's what older brothers are for. Right. And he listened to The Making of Man. He didn't read it. He listened to it. Uh, and you told him that story. You you narrated it. And he said, that was great. And I said, thank you so much. And he goes, I mean, you know, Michael's narration really made that story. I said, well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I don't care. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take any part. But I'm excited. So I'm going to, yeah, I hope to have it in your hands uh, even before the uh, paperback is out. I, I want to get your voice on it. Well, we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to that for sure. Chris Story, I love HomerAlaska.com. He's got a multitude of books: The Backyard Millionaire and Born to Live and The Making of Man and all these other kind of uh, stuff, uh, both fiction and nonfiction, self help and more. You can catch him every day. Excuse me, every Tuesday and Thursday on the uh, stations down in the peninsula of Capan, and um, and uh, it's uh, I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you for coming in, my friend, and sharing with us and uh, giving us. Uh, a little bit of attitude of gratitude and uh, a way to work on our own happiness and living, practicing happiness every day. I appreciate that. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for being here. Thanks All for right. having me. Well, we appreciate you coming on board. All right, folks, we are out of time for this segment. we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment dead ahead. You're home for Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break uh, here, and Chris Story is still with us. Everything, uh, I appreciate it, my friend. That was... um that was some good stuff. Um, uh, I'm always looking for the practical applications because you're always get you know you're always up in the up in the cerebral area. And those of us who are not so, <laughs> the clouds. those of us what who are those of us who are not so clouds. cerebral are like okay, great, break it down for us morons down here on the street. How do we make that work on a daily basis? But um, I appreciate that. No, I appreciate the, the poking in the questions because it does really come down to, oh, easy to say, how do you put it into practice? Exactly. Like, nothing worse than some sort of an affirmation that you're like, okay, well, now what? What do we do with that? It's a little bit like looking at a, uh, the results of a recipe and going, yeah, but how do I make that cake? Right. Well, it's it's always the, you know, it's always these great ideas, right, that you hear in these books and everything. And like you said, these affirmations or these these little trite phrases, you know, and everything. But you're like, okay, great. Now, now talk to me like I'm a five-year-old and tell me how to put it into practice. That's what people are always looking back, right? I mean, tell me how to put this into practice because that's what I really yeah. need. And uh, Well, I think that word, if we just accept that word, I mean, why do we allow doctors to continue to practice? 30, 40 years and they're still practicing. They don't have right. it right yet right. because it's constant evolving, constantly increasing knowledge base and expanding our understanding of ourselves, which can sound super narcissistic and egotistic and everything else. But at the same time, truly, if you don't know who you are, or where you're going, then we don't know what you're going to end up being like or where you'll end up in life so might as well take a minute and reflect on on who you are and, and more importantly who do you want to be how do you want to show up what do you want to become well, and to me that is a practice that's ongoing and one of the things that i think happens to us is that we just kind of we let life happen 
right? Yeah. We don't yeah. we don't take the proactive step like you do, like you were just talking about of, you know, waking up in the morning and and uh, being proactive in, you know, maybe doing some exercises or some journaling or something. You know, instead of being proactive, we roll out of bed and we're like, oh, the day is about to wash over us and we're just going to stand there and take it in the surf instead of being ready uh, and, and preparing ourselves um, and preparing our, you know, girding our mental loins, so to speak, against the day and, and doing stuff like that. And it's a because it, let's face it, it's not always easy to develop those habits. It takes some time and it takes some yeah. effort. And most people are just like, I just want to get through another day. I surround myself too. And when, I didn't even mention this. I didn't think about it. But yeah, so I go through the gratitude practice. But then I surround myself with uh, books. And I got one, two, I counted 15 books are out and around me. I'm in my library and sitting beside me on a, on a coffee table on one side uh, are about a dozen books and then two more books on my right. And those are all books that I'm just kind of actively reading and constantly going through uh, and rereading. Like one, one little book, it's, it's called Pelmanism. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it came in about 1905 and it was an English uh, based thought philosophy or science of thought on success and, mm -hmm. and creating a better life for yourself. And this little tiny book I picked up for $2 in a um, antique store in Seattle about 14 years ago because they were just selling it because it looked cool. It's like an old little old book. And they just, it was just for decor. And I picked this up and, and I read leaf through it um, maybe once a month and just kind of get an idea uh, on little practical applications. It's really an interesting little philosophy but that's sitting right beside a book uh just came out on rush limbaugh the greatest of all time and uh next to that is think and grow rich and then one about uh the immigrant edge book called uh, by brian buffini who talks about why immigrants do so well in america anyway right. just constantly surrounding myself with that kind of stuff it is a practice reading is a practice sure well and the, again the positive remember it's the old adage of you are uh in for the difference between who you are today and who you are in five years is the people that you surround yourself with and the books that you read right yeah uh, i mean exactly. that's that because each one of those books is a new idea even if it's an old idea repackaged or repurposed in a new yeah. in a new wrapper it's still uh, a new way to consume that and you're right uh that's, that's something that i think we should all be i mean something that i know that i need to work on uh a little bit more is to take that time to uh to have that that uh, that quiet, what do they call it? You call it the the power hour, the miracle moment, whatever it is, a peace and quiet ahead of time. I think that's good stuff. We need to really, we really need to pay attention to that. So, um, you sound one hundred percent. You back one hundred percent. Sounds like uh, well, almost. I can't taste or smell anything, which really makes eating fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> yo, man, it all tastes. It's weird. I mean, I'm eating this, and I'm yes, like, all I can do is. All I could do is taste the texture. That's weird. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, exactly. when you can't taste the coffee or smell the coffee, that's a bad, that's, that's just not, that's not fun. So. Especially when you still crave it. I know. I know. I really, I want a nice, good, rich cup of coffee and all it tastes like is hot water. So I, I just, I don't know what to do at that point. Hopefully it comes back. I guess most people say it comes back in a couple of weeks. We'll yeah. see what, we'll see yeah. what happens. The higher doses of zinc you take in the meantime will help that. Yeah. My experience. I've yeah. been. All right. Hey, take it easy. Appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for calling in Chris Story, the man from Homer. Appreciate you coming on board. All right, folks, we are coming up onto it. Um, <clears throat> don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say something. Uh, I'll talk about something here in just a hot second. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the program, I don't know who we're going to have, but we're going to have somebody. We'll talk about it here. Here we go.
Come out from your corners. I want a clean fight. No grabbing, no biting, no scratching. Uh, hello and good morning. Welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, Tuesday edition. We just finished up with Chris Story, the man from Homer. I always feel better when I'm done with Chris. Um, just because he's gone. I'm just, I always feel better when he's gone. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Chris is uh, always a, a He's always a barrel of laughs and uh, always gives us something good to think about. Uh, I did love the whole idea of the the Michael Dukes the income tax. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's all. That's all we need. That's all. I'm just throwing some ideas out there. I don't know. I mean, I wish I I wish I had. I, I wish I wish I knew what the secret trigger would be to get people involved and to be thinking about things in the same way that we've been thinking about them and talking about them for years, you know, about the overall costs of government, of what it takes and what does it, you know, that there's opportunity costs that are lost by taking money out of the private sector and putting it into the public sector and taking that money from Alaskans. And, and what does that, you know, what does that look like? And what does that mean? Um, Kevin, I think, also has a good uh, example here. He says, a government that robs Peter to pay Paul will always have the support of Paul. So said George Bernard Shaw. But Paul is currently getting public funding for his programs, or so he is told, from his dividend. Right? That's the argument. Well, we're taking your dividend to give you better public services. But Kevin says the answer is to find a way to convince Paul that he could have both more limited government services and his dividend. I I like that idea. So how how do we do it? That's what I'm asking. How do we move the needle on that? Because currently what we've been doing is obviously not working. Um I'm, you know, it's obviously it's obviously not getting the people's attention. They're not seeing the argument. Uh, we've been making the argument. Uh, I mean, you know, Brad's been on this program for the last five years talking about the impact of the PFD and especially on lower and middle income families. Um, but it's not it's not moving the needle enough. And it's it's not even it's not even in the general public discourse. Right. It's not even out there. That's why I was saying that's why I was just throwing ideas at the wall in the last previous segment earlier this hour and I was just saying, well, maybe we just maybe we just start advocating for an income tax. I mean, that would shock a lot of people, right? Maybe that's what you need, the shock value. Maybe we go back to the Hammond, uh the Hammond argument, the Hammond ideal of, hey, just put the just put the income tax on the books and it will just hang there and the next time they run out of money you say well don't take the pfd go ahead and turn up the turn up the income tax that way it's an equitable distribution ag- across the entire spectrum not just lower and middle income alaskans um 
maybe it's that shock value. I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at all these things and trying to figure how do we get people's attention. Now, granted, I will tell you right now that, again, the risk aversion that we are facing in this state has brought us to where we are today. The risk aversion to being so against having to pay any kind of taxes that we're willing to give the government and the legislature anything that they want as long as they don't tax us. Meanwhile, we allow them to tax us through the taking of the PFD. And, of course, they get the stealth tax of all the money flowing straight into the straight, uh, state treasury versus going through our hands to begin with. And so what is it actually costing us? What is it actually costing us? It's, um, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. It is an interesting thought, thought experiment. I don't know. What it's going to take to, um, I don't know what it's going to take to make those things work. Now, Christine says equitable distribution among the 50% that pay any taxes. That's the other part of the problem, right? I mean, right now, it, the, the pendulum is swung the other way. We're disproportionately affecting the lowest 80% income earners in the state. But at the same time, if we create some kind of progressive income tax, that only affects the high rollers and the top 20 percentile, that's also, that also doesn't work. So I just don't know. I just, I just don't know what it's going to take to get people to think about this in terms of the, you know, the equitability of who pays and the effect on the economy overall. Um, I, I, I just don't have I don't have an answer on that. Shocking, I know. Shocking that I don't have an answer. But I'm I'm just trying to think of something to get people's attention because obviously what we've been doing is just not enough. They still have the lever to confiscate the PFD when the Michael Dukes tax is not enough. Government begets government. I yes, I would agree. They do have the lever to confiscate the PFD. But at that point, if they did have if the if if some kind of broad-based tax was not enough, then they'd have to come back and they would have to make that argument to the people. That would be an interesting discussion. Um Alaska is already the heaviest tax people on the planet. The people's resources go directly to the government. Harold, I mean, again, Harold, I agree. That's the thing. We are already the heavy. I mean, we are so tax adverse in every discussion. Oh, we can't do, we can't do that, can't do. No, no, no taxes, no matter what it is. But you're already being taxed. That's the irony of the whole situation. You're already being taxed. Yeah. It's um it's interesting. I don't have a I don't have an answer. I don't have a solution to this. Um but I think it's I think it's time we started having these conversations. I think maybe we started we we have some radical conversations. Maybe we throw some stuff out there that is completely um opposite of what we would normally go for just to see 
let's make the argument. Let's debate it. Let's debate the pros and cons of it. I think I think now is the time. Because obviously what we're doing is not working. That's the bottom line. What we're doing is not working. Um, Tyler says, I admit, I used to be an absolutely no new taxes person, but Brad is right. They're already taxing us. What irks me most about thinking the instituting a new tax is the state shows zero interest in reducing its size and scope. I'm, I'm with you. I am 100% with you on that. Well, I guess tomorrow's another day. We got Elijah Verhagen coming up on Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, I don't know who we're going to have on. We'll have somebody on. Maybe we'll talk more about this. <laughs> the, the, the newly christened Michael Duke's income tax. Oh, man. All right, my friends. Thanks for coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see you tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. All right, my friends, do me one favor before you leave. Please share this video. That's all I'm asking. Just share it. Share the video today, wherever you're watching. Share it. Love it. Leave it. We got to go. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show